Good morning. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the conclusion of our uh, series we've been doing on the family. And if I haven't met you, I'm Brad Evans, pastor of Family Ministries. It's a real thrill to teach this topic to you. It's something that I'm uh, passionate about and uh, it's something that I think we need. We need to be reminded of, of what's true. Uh, where we began this series a couple of weeks ago with week one of the family, God's original small group. And while it's true that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we become adopted into his family and that we're part of the household of faith, the household of God, and we become believers and we become part of something greater than ourselves. And isn't that awesome that when, as we gather as believers, as the children of God, that we have a connection And there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, uh, slave or free, as Paul talks about in Galatians, that we are one in Christ. And we are now entering into a new man, a Christian. And we share that together as the family of God. It's also true that God originated family. And in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we looked at the family as God's original small group. And how he had created family and designed family. And we talked about how important it is that we are demonstrating some small group principles in our church body. These one another's. That we love one another. That we care for one another. That we bear one another's burdens. And doesn't it make sense that that should be happening in our homes as well? And that's kind of where I came up with this title. The family is God's original small group. And we want you to be connected to a small group. But... We also want this to be happening in our homes. Uh, Let me just demonstrate a little bit about uh, what I mean by this. We didn't really talk about our faith and the transference of faith in the homes, but I came across this Barna survey of Christian families. Now, these are Christian families, and it's regarding the age children become believers. And what Barna uh, did in his research, he learned that 31% will have no faith commitment. Now, I'm using his terminology here. By that, he means 31% of Christian families, their children will not become believers. 31%. 59% will be, as he calls it, committed before age 14. So 59% of Christian families will see children trust in Jesus Christ by the age of 14. After 14, while they're still teenagers, new teen commitments, there's only 5%. Emerging adult commitments, these are non-teenagers, these are older adults, that we only see a 5% convergence. His summary is if a person does not accept Christ as Savior before the age of 14, the likelihood of them ever doing so is slim. This is on evangelism is most effective among kids. What do those statistics say to you? That kind of gets our attention, doesn't it? That we've got one shot at our kids and how important it is that the home, the original small group, that we're passing our faith on to our children and that we're raising them up up, and that as husbands and, and wives that we are modeling what it looks like for our kids to walk with Jesus Christ and that we're not just relying on the church, although again, we want to have the best children's programs here at Grace Bible Church that we can possibly have. But it's essential that faith is being transferred in the home. That's where 
it takes place. Uh, that's where we can have the greatest impact. That's where, in terms of hours, the children are with us in our homes more than ever. So in terms of evangelism, of passing our faith on, it's essential that we do that in the home. So the family is the original small group. We also looked two weeks ago, at, and last week we had our uh, Global Impact Conference, we looked at the family. And I talked about how husbands, we're commanded in Scripture, our big idea is to love our wives. We looked at Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So the big idea for the husband is that he's to love his wife, and the big idea for the wife is that she is to respect her husband. Several of our small groups are going through a, a book called Love and Respect. And in fact, I'm in a group right now that's doing that. I recommend this. It's a great resource where he emphasizes the individual roles that we're to play. And so as a husband, I'm to be reminded that Christ loved his bride, the church. And in this way, I'm to love my bride, Susan, as Christ loved the church. And as we look at Ephesians, we see this Wonderful passage on responsibilities and roles of husbands and wives. But realize there's a bigger event that our marriages are to visibly demonstrate Christ's love relationship with his bride, the church. And so as people see us, they're to see how we are relating to one another. And it's to draw them into wanting to know more about Jesus Christ. And I see many of you here this morning that are single, and, and that is awesome. I'm so glad that I have an opportunity, and we have as a church an opportunity, to talk about these topics to some of you who are not yet married, or maybe uh, you have been married and you're single again, because we as a church body realize, and statistics will prove this out, that if we wait to talk about some of these topics until you're uh, already considering marriage, We've, we've dropped the ball. It's important that we begin equipping singles on what God's teaching is on, on marriage and family. So if you're here today um, and, and single, then I'm so glad you're here. And I hope that you'll file this away. I hope you're, you will pray for families in our church and your own family. But realize this is the, really what Paul is going for in the book of Ephesians, that he's pointing us in our marriages that we would have a higher calling and that we would recognize that we exist as a husband and wife to visibly demonstrate Christ's love relationship with his bride, the church. And that puts us on our knees because uh, we can't do this. We can't pull that off apart from Jesus Christ living in and through us and his spirit being in control. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it came across the news uh, on November the 12th, 2009. Have any of you ever seen a $2 million car? Well, now you have. This car is worth $2 million. It's a Bugatti. It's made in Italy. Apparently, there's only 15 of them in the United States. And uh, let me tell you about what happened here. This is uh, actually a saltwater marsh outside of Galveston. So you got a $2 million car, and this is a record guy getting ready to pull this $2 million car out of the saltwater marsh. The owner of one of the world's fastest production automobiles accidentally drove his fine-tuned French, uh, I said Italian, French-built car into a saltwater lagoon Wednesday. The man who police, police said was from Lovkin was uninjured and escaped the partially submerged Bugatti Veyron as it came to rest in about two feet of saltwater. The two-seater with 16 cylinders and four turbochargers can reach speeds of more than 250 miles per hour. New models sell for about $2 million. 
the man refused to give his name. Uh, about 3 p.m., here's his story, a low-flying pelican distracted him as he traveled north on Interstate 45, just south of the Hurricane Levee near Omega Bay. The man jerked the wheel, dropped his cell phone, and the car's front tire left the frontage road and entered a muddy patch, which foils his attempt to maneuver away from the lagoon. And I love this part. The Verone's powerful engine gurgled like an outboard motor for about 15 minutes before he died, before it died. He probably died too, but uh, I bet he wished he'd turned it off, but uh, he left it running. And so um, it's the rarest car in the world, not something you can just replace every day, the man said. Two million dollar car in the drink. Unfortunately, this is a picture of marriages today and families today. That we uh, begin with great intentions and we end up like this. Uh, I, I counsel far too many couples that their marriages are, are coming unglued. And again, that's why we want to talk about some of these principles on the front end and uh, to encourage and equip you with biblical roles and responsibilities, but also for the incredible value of your home. How do you, do you value your home? Do you value your spouse? Do you value your children? This is incredibly important that we pause. And even in the season of Thanksgiving, as we'll be with family and extended family, that we stop and we give thanks for our homes and our spouses and our children and our parents and and realize the, the value that God places on family. And if your marriage is struggling or if you come out of a marriage where there were some difficulty and challenges and you're bearing some scars from that. Well, talk to someone. Talk to me. Talk to Blake, David, one of the pastors here. Talk to someone. Get some counseling. Get some help. Uh, there's no shame in that. Don't end up in the drink like this with your, with your marriage. The context in Ephesians 5 is to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, we read uh, that Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine, that's waste, that's excess, but a command here, be filled with the Spirit. Everything else that follows comes under this operative, this this imperative, this, this command, and we're to realize as we fulfill our roles, we can't do this apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. The prerequisite, as we think about marriage, is in verse 31. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Moses wrote about this in Genesis 2. And as a husband and wife enter into that covenant of marriage, a miracle happens, and two become one, a one flesh union that God intends until death do us part. He intends it to be a lifelong Marital union. And so that's the the prerequisite as we talk about roles is that a man and a woman have come together and they've entered into a covenant of marriage. Just this past week, I had a couple who wanted to get married, came in and met with me. And I asked them, I said, why do you want to get married? And I always ask that question because I want to hear why do you want to not only get married, but why do you want to marry this person? And so I listened to them gush and ooze all the stuff that newlyweds do. And I listen and and shake my head and uh, say, that's great. And then I ask the question, how long do you plan on being married? And they always kind of go, that's a dumb question. For life, of course. And I say, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I wouldn't marry you unless you're entering into this covenant for life. 
But it's easy to say now, but you're going to have some bumps along the road. And then I go on to scare them a little bit with uh, what's to come and the reality that this is about a covenant. This is about a commitment that we have made before Almighty God and we've made with one another. Don't end up in the drink. And it's important that we go back to that, that our marriages are not just based on feelings, although feelings are great. They're based based on the covenant uh, that we have made between God. Proverbs 31, as I talked to the men two weeks ago, I, I said this is a fundamental verse about valuing our spouses. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And men, I challenge you to treat your wives in this way, that her worth is far above jewels. Next to Jesus Christ, my most important relationship is with Susan on planet Earth. That's the most important relationship. As we talk about the family, the marital relationship is the most important relationship in the home. The most important one. And that's why we're emphasizing these roles of husband and wife so we can complement one another according to God's design and build strong families and uh, pass our faith on to the next generation of leaders. Our church vision statement, raising up next generation leaders to reach our world for Jesus Christ. Shouldn't that be included in the home? Absolutely. And again, we've got to reach them while they're young, before the cement is hardening, uh, or hardens, because uh, we only have one shot. So men, we're to value our wives. We're to treat them with uh, incredible worth. They're our most important asset on this planet. Now, there's a lot here, and I'm going to briefly go over this in case you weren't here two weeks ago. But also, some of us men have short memories, and it's important that we uh, are reminded of what I talked about two weeks ago. Husbands, we are to unconditionally love our wives. That word unconditionally is very, very important. And as the author of uh, Authors of Love and Respect, I can't even pronounce, I never can pronounce your name, Egriches, I think is how you say it. They talk about that, and I think it's really biblical that that we unconditionally move towards our spouse, whether they're responding to meet our needs or not. So husbands, we are to unconditionally do these things, these biblical imperatives, these, these commands, these instructions, whether our wives are respecting us or not. And conversely, wives, the things we're going to talk about here in just a little bit, you're to do these things whether your husband is loving you or not. And that's sometimes a hard pill to swallow if, we've, if we're in a difficult relationship. But uh, I'm going to talk about why that's essential. But husbands, we're to demonstrate love by, uh, already talked about value, uh, by showing submissiveness to others. In a moment, wise, I'm going to talk about the biblical command for submitting to your husband as the head of your home. Well, if your husband is not submitting to earthly authority, how are you able to do that to your husband. And so, again, you're unconditionally do that, but I'm saying, men, we're to model this. We're to submit to earthly authority and authority in the church, authority on the job. Men, we're to wash feet. We're to be servant leaders. And as Christ washed his disciples' feet, we're to serve our wives and our children. We're to serve in the home by the way Christ led, and that's with servant leadership. By sacrificial giving of ourselves. Christ gave his life. Men, we're to give our lives for our families. By tenderness and care, we're to love our spouse by treating them in a way that is respectful and honorable and with sensitivity 
to provide tenderness and care to our spouses. By family commitment, in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul instructs the husbands in how they're to relate to children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there's something amazing. When I am hands-on involved with my kids, it moves my wife's heart. And so husbands, we're to demonstrate family commitment in our homes. We're to provide protection and support as the head, the, the family comes under us. And we're to provide financial support and physical support for our family. Uh, one of my wife's love language is uh, security system. And uh, I don't know how, how, but she's wired that way. And, and that uh, is one of the ways I, I provide uh, that was... Uh, to get a chuckle, but uh, uh, maybe you'll catch it later. Protection and support. Openness and honesty, that I'm to be vulnerable, that I'm to be real, that I'm to be transparent. All those things that take the Holy Spirit for men to do, right? You're, some of you are shaking your heads because you know it's guys are kind of, we, we vapor lock on that point. But we're to be open and honest with our spouses. Lastly, purity and fidelity. That equals trust for your spouse. We're to keep the marriage bed undefiled. And men, I exhorted you two weeks ago and I exhort you this morning to stay pure, to live holy lives. And that is so important to your marital relationship. And for men who are single, it's important that you lay that foundation now. I see so many couples, they get married and then the wife finds out the husband's struggling with pornography and, and they, they got to deal with it. So you single men, don't think you can just wait until later. Start now by a commitment to purity and holiness and find someone to hold you accountable to, uh, to this end. Husbands, unconditionally love your wives. Okay, wives, I want to ask you, what is your husband's number one need? What's your husband's number one need? Uh, I know this is kind of a trick question because uh, your husband uh, may not express this as much. And uh, let me just say it's not what we often talk about. It's not the Song of Solomon here. We'll get to that point here in just a minute. But that's not your husband's number one need. Physical intimacy is not his number one need. Your husband's number one need is respect. Now, two weeks ago when I talked about husbands love your wives, and we had a fellowship, you remember that? And so we, we cut the service short, and so I didn't get to the wives part. I had so many men come up to me, so many husbands, and, say, and they were mad. They were like, hey, man, you hammered me. That wasn't fair. And, and I'm going to make sure my wife gets here on this Sunday. And so I said, all right, I'll do, I'll do my best, you know. But uh, I, I want to tell you, this is a little bit challenging for me as a man to deliver the goods on this topic. Because do you know who is biblically supposed to teach the wives this topic? It's Titus 2.4. What does it talk about? Older women are to teach, or as we, um, Carolyn Jones, our director of women's ministry, reminded me, it's seasoned women. Okay, better term. Seasoned women are to teach the younger women these principles about how to love and respect their husband. But wives, this is your husband's greatest need. And you single women, file this away. This is so huge for us as men. Because that's the way God has wired us. What is respect? What does it mean? Well, there's a variety of words in the Bible that talked about Respect. 
One of the Hebrew words literally means to lift up the face of. Another uh, interpretation is to receive him with favor or honor. This word is translated differently in different translations. The message translates verse 33 in um, uh, Ephesians 5. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his wife. That's to the husbands. And let the wife see to it that she honors her husband. So we're talking about honor. We're talking about respect to, to lift up the face of. And let's, let's talk about what that means. So actually now I'm finally to the title of today's message. Now we're finally, all that, all that was just background. Wives, respect your husband. This is week number three in our family series. I should dedicate this to uh, Luke and Gracie, really, because uh, this is a family series as Blake and Julie have had twins uh, and have uh, been fruitful and multiplied. Uh, we are... Um, talking about the family here. Wives, as husbands, you're to unconditionally love your wife. Wives, you're to unconditionally love your husbands. I said this in in language that communicates. We talk about love. Most wives get the concept of love. Respect is a little more challenging. But you're to unconditionally love your husbands with a respect that demonstrates, first of all, honor and value for his leadership. That you honor him as the head of the home. And we see in verse 23 in Ephesians 5, the husband is the head, the kephale, the, the, the head, the capstone of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Men, we've been delegated authority in the home. And the only authority we have is what God has given us. But biblically, we are the head, the buck stops with us, and wives, you are to honor and value a man's leadership in the home. How can a husband lead if you're not respecting and honoring him? It's not going to happen. So a man almost unconsciously marries someone who will complete his life vision and with her support help him fulfill his identity. If she doesn't do this, their marriage will suffer tremendously. He will pull away and look for someone else to cheer him on in life. That's from Daniel Livingston's Seasons of a Man's Life. So if a man is not getting honor and respect in his home, far too often he's going to start looking for it somewhere else and you end up with affairs. It's got to happen in the home. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that that's far too often what will result. I mentioned this at the end of the, of the service two weeks ago, but in Love and Respect, they quote Shanti Fieldhand's book, For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men. Isn't that a great title? And so she actually hired this survey institute that does a statistical analysis, this decision analysis. And they surveyed 400 men. And they were given a choice between going through two negative experiences in life. So men, you've got a choice. Choice number one, door number one, is to be left alone and unloved in the world. Go through your life completely unloved and to be alone. Choice number two, door number two, men, is for you to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. So what are you going to pick? There are two negative experiences. You're going to go through door number one and not be loved. Or are you going to go through door number two and not be respected? What do you think they picked? 74% said of these 400 men, they would rather be, go through that first door and be left alone and unloved 
in the world than, and only 26% said they would choose to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. What does that say? Men long for respect and honor. It's how God has made us. We need this. It's so incredibly important. We need this, not just from anybody, but from our spouses. Of all the people on the planet, wives, you have an opportunity to build up or to tear down your spouse more than anyone else. You have the greatest influence on him. Wives are to demonstrate uh, respect by honoring and valuing his leadership and following his leadership. Also through submissiveness. Now, I know this is a loaded word, and uh, to talk about it, we've got to look at some uh, biblical explanations for this. Uh, I mentioned the message. I really like how the message translates this. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. So that's Eugene Peterson's translation of submissiveness, is understanding and supporting your husbands. I, I like that. That resonates with me. couple disclaimers. Biblically, submission is not inferiority. It does not mean that you're of less value. It does not mean that you lose your identity. It does not mean that you're not still a person of value and that you matter in the home. Submission is not being denied input in decision-making. I tell men, you are incredibly foolish when you're about to make a decision if you don't involve your wife. God has given her to you for this process to help you in making decisions. It's not unique to the wives, as I mentioned earlier. Husbands are to submit. Uh, Look at verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The entire body of Christ is to be involved in this thing called submission. We're to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's my master. He's my Lord. We're to submit to earthly authorities. We're to submit to uh, church leadership. More about that in just a minute. But it's not just unique to wives. And it's not something husbands are to lord over their wives. Okay? See, I'm not commanded to tell my wife to submit to me. What am I commanded to do? I'm commanded to love Susan as Christ loves the church. And we've talked about this. I, I, I never tell her to submit to me. Never. I've never said that. Because as I love her, and as I honor her, and as I serve her, and as I treat her with value, and and as I cherish her, and I treat her with tenderness, that's what God's called me to do. Then she naturally, as as the Holy Spirit is working in her life, God gives her the desire to want to respond to my leadership in this way. Submission is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupo means under, tasso to come under a fix or a point, and in this case, it's to come under the headship, the, the leadership of the husband in the home. Context here in Ephesians 5, it's to come under a person worthy of respect, not based on his performance. He is worthy of respect because of his role and his position of, as a husband. And so that's what this biblical word means. Other New Testament usages. We're to submit to one another. Children are to submit to parents. They're to obey parents. All the parents say amen. Um, We're to submit to masters and employers. We're to submit to secular authorities. We're to submit to God. 
those are the ways this word is used. So wives, you are exhorted biblically to demonstrate love for your husband with a respect that demonstrates honor and value for his leadership, submissiveness, also support and encouragement. Support and encouragement. (laughs) Encourage your man. Wives, let me let you in on a little secret here. And, and for you single ladies, men are not nearly as tough as we kind of want to come across as we are. We're a little more fragile and insecure. And when we come home at night, uh, sometimes we've just been absolutely beat up by the world. I mean, we've been, we've been hammered. We've been hammered on the job. We may have had a tough boss, but we come home and... Sometimes we come in with our tail between our legs a little bit. And, and we, need, we need encouragement. We need support. We need to know that you believe in us and that you're behind us. Or wives, if you're working and you come home, husbands, same thing goes. I'm not trying to make a statement on uh, where a husband and a wife ought to be. Because we have a, a lot of uh, women pursuing degrees and, and, uh, that are working. And so we're to work this out together. And so I'm just telling you how that works in our house. Encourage your man. Makes a world of difference to me. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 25, 24. It's better to live in a corner of the roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. Ladies, I'm telling you, you have a unique platform of all the people on the planet to build up your man or to tear him down. And I have watched men whose wives criticize them, especially in women. Please, please never, ever criticize your husband in front of other people, especially your children. Don't don't do it. Don't go there. I watched men just kind of shrink and, and I watch their head go down and I watch what happens to them when they're criticized by their mate. And this whole respect issue, when you're criticizing your man, you're tearing him down and he's not feeling respect. Love, uh, Titus 2.4 talks about the uh, seasoned women are to um, uh, teach the younger women to love. And uh, for most of you women, this comes a lot more naturally, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Okay, here it is. Physical intimacy. Yes, men need physical intimacy. God has wired us in such a way that we need uh, physical intimacy with our spouse. And wives, um, I wish I could just kind of get us all off in a room and, and we could just speak real clear here. Um, and so I know we've got a mixed group here, but... Your man, your husband, is looking for intimacy. But he's looking for, in, from, for intimacy from you. He wants, he married you. And, and it is so incredibly special with you. And this is a gift that only you can give him. And uh, he will respond. This is, this is love to him, okay? And... Uh, it's very important that we recognize there's a whole book of our Bible, Song of Solomon, that's written about the joy in the context of a marital covenantal relationship, the joy of expressing ourselves 
physically for each other. Man needs that. Deuteronomy 24, 5. Uh, when a man takes a new wife, he shall, all you guys that are single need to write, jot this down. You'll, you'll uh, like this and use it for later. But when a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. And we're not talking about tiddlywinks here. We're talking about intimacy, physical, spiritual, relational, communicational intimacy with his spouse. Also, ladies, your husband needs a recreational companion. Uh, I don't know what it is and how we're wired, but most of us men, we're, we're fairly competitive. And we like to you know, compete and we like to do things. And, and uh, you may not be, if your husband likes to hunt and fish, and that may not be your thing, but... Uh, just go sit with him in the deer stand sometimes. He will rise up and call you blessed. Okay? I'm telling you. Or find something that you have in common together. But surveys show that husbands and wives that do things recreational, that have fun together, their marriages last longer. I mean, find something. Go bowling. Do something. Find something that you can both enjoy together. Because he needs a recreational companion. Ephesians 5.33, and wrapping this up, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how how each wife is to honor her husband. Husbands, we're to love our wives. Wives, you're to respect your husbands or honor him, however your translation may read. Applications, move towards your spouse. You know, even if your spouse is not doing this, I want to challenge you to move towards them and to ask God this morning to give you the courage to take steps and to move towards them in a way that is meaningful to them. Um, Even if you don't feel like it, sometimes we... I mean, gosh, I mean, I hate to bring in the word obedience here when I talk to husbands about loving their wives because that's not a great, that doesn't make for a great Valentine's card. You know what I mean? But sometimes, I mean, this is a, these are biblical imperatives. And sometimes as an act of obedience, we need to move towards our spouse, even if we don't feel like it. Because God says so. He's commanding us, husbands, to love our wives. And wives, He's commanding you to respect your husbands. It gets easier, usually. I can't promise you always, but it usually gets easier the more you do it. As time goes on, the more you initiate and move towards your spouse, it gets gets easier. And, And often then they will reciprocate and respond back to you. But if you stomp your foot and say, by golly, wife, I'm not going to love you until you respect me. And wife, if you stomp your foot and say, I'm not going to respect you until you love me. And that's when you end up calling a lawyer after 10, 15 years. I'm telling you, that's the downward spiral. God's plan is that we unconditionally move towards our spouse, filled with the Spirit. And I believe God will bless your efforts. God will bless your efforts over time. Okay, go out on a date. That's my exhortation to you who are married. Husbands, this is a little scary. But I want you on this date to... Take her to place someplace to eat and look her in the eye and say, Honey, what communicates love to you? And then listen. Just listen. Okay?
You willing to do that, men? Okay. Got one yes. Men? There's one brave man. Are you willing to take your wife out on a date and ask her what communicates love to her? Men, are you willing to do that? Okay. This week. Okay. Well, Thanksgiving. I know. No, no, no. We're going to do it this week. Okay. We're going to do it this week. I'm not going to put it off. Wives. While you're after him. Husbands, you're going first. You're the leader. Okay. Wives, then it's your turn. You're on a date. You say, honey, baby, whatever your term is, <laughs> sweeties, what communicates respect to you? And then listen. And uh, husbands and wives, you may want to jot a few things down to make application. Go out on a date this week. Real life applications. And this is really where we're going to conclude our service here. De- uh, men, the deacons, if you would help us here, we're going to serve communion in just a minute. If you prepare, and Ross if, and your team, if you guys would come on up. But as we think about the season of Thanksgiving, and as we think about applying the things we've learned this morning, I want to ask us to do something. I want to ask us to pause right where we are and to give thanks for our families and to give thanks for our spouse. And uh, Ross, if you would, begin to play instrumentally. And, and uh, I, want, I want us to bow our heads. And right where you are, I want you, and for some of us this is going to be hard to do because maybe there's some struggles in your marriage. But couples that come to me and things are coming unglued, I'll often ask them, so why'd you get married? And they'll go back to those early days and they'll start talking about the positive things. Okay. God inhabits the praise of His people. And as we enter into this season of thanksgiving, as we enter into a time where July 4th is a declaration of independence, thanksgiving is a declaration of dependence, that God, I need you, and I'm thankful for it. Everything I have is a gift from you. And I'm going to ask us to bow our heads right now and to pause and to give thanks for our church family and for our own family. And even if there's pain involved, I want to ask you right now in the quietness of your heart to give thanks. giving thanks, some of you may have sensed and you maybe have some feelings deep down that where there's some pain and, and there's been some hurt. And some of you this week are going to go see family members where there's distance and pain and, and they've hurt you. And I want to ask you right now to forgive them. And as we are about to take communion, you don't have this hanging over your head because your unforgiveness in a vertical, uh, I'm sorry unforgiveness in a horizontal relationship with a person affects your relationship with the Father 
it's a barrier, it's a wall. So right now, in the quietness of your heart, if there's any pain or heartache, I want to ask you to forgive that person right now. Thessalonians 5.18 Thank God no matter what happens this is the way God wants you who belong to Christ to live to thank God no matter what happens Father we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ and as the elements are passed now we bow before you with gratitude and we ask you to prepare our hearts so that as we take this communion, we can do so with clean hands, nothing separating us from a communion, a fellowship with you. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing or a time of thanksgiving, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Jesus, we thank you this morning. And in this season, this week of thanksgiving, as Blake mentioned, we pray that this attitude of being grateful will be a year long experience for us as believers, but especially this week country, we stop and we have a holiday to to give thanks. And and this morning we want to thank you for the most important thing we have, and that's our relationship with you. And so Christ, right now, we thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf. Let's take it. taken a cup and given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins father your word says that apart from the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins your son Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb the lamb of God who died on our behalf and it's through his blood that we have made atonement at, at, with you. We are at one with you because our sins are forgiven through the washing of your blood. Through all who placed their faith in Christ have received forgiveness. And this morning we give thanks. And we drink this cup in memory, Christ, of the blood, your blood, that was given on our behalf. Let's drink together. We're going to conclude with worship. Will you stand, please?